0: Hello, everyone. I'm Samantha Jane Smith.
1: And I'm Jacob Keynes. And you are listening to the Classical Queer Podcast. Well, welcome to this uh, new episode of the Classical Queer Podcast. We're so thrilled to be joined by Sam Taskinen here today. And Sam is a uh, Finnish, and, but you're living in Germany now, correct sam yes for
2: quite a while well i've lived the past five years in the german speaking countries but yeah i'm a finnish based baritone
1: finnish bass baritone so we're so thrilled that you're here and we usually uh we, we say give us a little intro uh about okay. your background but i always add the caveat it can be as um, like academic-based, based or non-music-based as you want. It's a total, uh, it's a sliding scale. It can be about your training, background, history, uh, with like singing, being a bass baritone, or uh, you can tell us uh, all the things that is not related to music. Whatever you would like to tell us.
2: <laughs> oh, there's a really loud motorcycle outside, by the way, so I'm sorry if, that, if you can hear that, but... Um... Yeah, I was born like in the southeast part of Finland. And it's actually in this town called La which is a little bit closer to St. Petersburg than Helsinki. And so I grew up on the border. And I had a very sort of diverse uh, cultural education, I guess. I did ballet and all kinds of dancing and I played the piano and the cello. But it took me a while to figure out what I actually wanted to do with my life. So I studied all kinds of things like interior architecture and geography and music education and Latin American studies and Portuguese philology before (laughs) I discovered singing. and that's something I started to do while I was at sibelius Academy study, uh, studying music education and classical music has always been very important to me and then like somehow opera ended up being something that combines a lot of my passions you know dancing being on stage making music languages like you know all of that and yeah, that's kind of how I ended up doing what I do, and then my career kind of kicked off while I was studying, actually, so I never graduated, Uh, but I have have the bachelor's degree, but I I was doing my master's when, like, things all of a sudden started kind of snowballing, almost, and then I ended up working in Germany, first at Komscheoppa in the young artist program there for two years singing surprisingly big roles actually like for example Colline in La Boheme and then I when I mean before this I had already worked professionally as a freelancer in Finland like at the Finnish national opera and with orchestras and such but then um was my first thing in Germany and then I lived for two years in in St. Gallen where I worked at the opera there. And while I was there, I came out as trans and that kind of changed certain thing about like how my career looks now. But now I'm fixed in Stadtsde um, Kassel in the middle of Germany and I'll be here for the next season. And after that, the intention is to go freelance. It was quite
0: an intro, but I hope it's okay. <laughs> it, it, a, a question for you. I mean, for an opera singer. Uh, I mean, when you look at the, the yeah. really good opera singers, um, you know, there is this kind of, um, you know, uh, obviously you're putting on a show, and you've got this front that you're putting on, and and you being involved with dance and also languages. Do you really think how much has that helped you towards you know being able to first of all accommodate the different languages, but also the movement type of thing that that occurs within the opera?
2: It's helped a lot. Like, um, I also got really good acting training, Um, so in some ways I feel like I was very well equipped to stagecraft in a lot of ways, and. I mean obviously with languages as well so it's been an immense help actually um and i've gotten like in the beginning i got a lot of my first jobs because of me being fluent in russian and they needed someone who's good at sort of new music and in russian so i ended up doing a lot of Shostakovich because of you know hmm. of the trickiness of all of it and yeah <laughs> then it's Uh, It has, like, really served me well because um, I can do a lot of different types of movement and change my body language quite a bit um, depending on characters. However, (laughs) sometimes, no matter what I do, I tend to look like someone who used to do ballet a lot. So sometimes, (laughs) like, for me to get into, like, a rough body language that can be a little different away from but it's like not impossible but it just takes a little more time
1: this is the thing I, I mean, ballet training is it it it's built into you like so intensely into your body that it is hard to remove that, that uh ballet sensibility that ballet training you're always like thinking like a ballet dancer not Obviously not that I am one, but, like, I know many ballet dancers, and they always say... No, but... Like, I I think,
2: like, the funniest thing I ever had was, like, my first job... No, my second professional opera job was, like, I played this rough character in Shostakovich's Lady Makbedovtziensk district, and I was, like, a fisherman wearing this huge rubber boots. And I hear the director yelling, Sam, how can you point your toes in those things? How is it physically possible? <laughs> I don't I,
0: I, it's kind of interesting because I think even, even when you're not doing any artistic things, you, you kind of move in the way, which, you know, I'm sitting here thinking, you, I've got to stop slouching and I've got to sort of look a bit more like, you know, and, and and it's kind of fascinating because when you understand that you see it is, as Jacob says, built into your every movement. And how do you remove that? I, I can't see how you can. It's kind of fascinating, really.
2: Well, you can, but it, that's why we have the long rehearsal process. Mm. And you just have to figure out how that person moves, and really pay close attention to that, um, like at all times while you're rehearsing.
1: And so you were talking about uh, your career in the past um, a few years, and obviously everybody's career in, in like pandemic world has been wild to begin with. How are you finding, uh, like, both coming out of COVID and also transitioning, and new roles, and new uh, understanding of roles? And how is that uh, working for your career?
2: I have gotten extremely lucky, actually, in that I worked all through COVID. I got paid all through COVID. And we were able to perform for small audiences. Mm -hmm. Um and I got also extremely lucky in that when I realized I needed to transition, that it was time for me to do it, and I needed to do it for myself immediately, <laughs> I had a very supporting boss. So mm-hmm. that like, my boss happened to have uh, trans frames. So he was quite well-educated in all of that. So that part was really small. Um, I think the biggest difference, honestly, is that before I transitioned, uh, you know, and I was living a more like more outwardly male passing life, even though I was still a like, very femme um, and, you know, embraced that side of me. Um, I like, people write about my singing and acting. And after that, people have wrote, like written a lot more about how I look and about my transness and not so much of the actual substance of, of the work that I do, which is a little like, it has gotten me more attention for sure However, I already had like a good career going on, but it's taken a different direction in that sense. Um, coming out also definitely helped open um, up my void more because I'm more relaxed myself. So it has extended sort of my opera register a little in that I, I have been able to take on some tour that i am able to do before. Um, so yes, uh, it's been strange time for sure uh, and I was also supposed to have more of a freelance time already now but because of COVID um, things didn't look so great like everything I had got cancelled and I got really lucky that this solo space opened up in this theatre And I was fortunate enough to get selected to do this job. So it was was all in all, I got to this job before I auditioned. So then I had to call this place as well. And they're like, so this person who auditioned is going to look slightly different when you, you know, when the season starts. And, you know, and they were really nice about it
3: as well.
1: It's really interesting you, you say the, uh, I think you said the comment about um, maybe uh, coming out relaxed your voice. I maybe you don't know if you use the word relaxed, but it's it's interesting now we've talked to, I don't know, three or four trans vocalists who have talked about like just the act of coming out, transitioning, uh, understanding themselves in their truest form. Even if they're not trying to change their their voice type, and, and we can talk about uh, you not not changing your your voice type or roles, but just relaxing into their body has changed their understanding of their voice in such a weird way. And I think for people who are not singers um, or people who don't work with vocalists a whole lot, it's easy to forget that the voice is like your body. It is like very much like connected to your understanding of yourself, your mind, your like physical body, but also just like how you like interpret your own like physicality and self. And it has such an effect on how your voice uh, comes uh, through. And it's, it's so uh like wonderful to hear that, like just relaxing into your, uh, your understanding of yourself changes your, your voice. But, it's funny that we've heard that so many times, and it's, it's really a wonderful thing to hear. It's so nice to hear that, yeah. you know?
0: Mm. I, I think also one thing that I, I was kind of yeah, interested absolutely. in that, that you mentioned, Sam, was that <clears throat> um, when I transitioned, after I transitioned, I had to go around t- kind of telling everybody that the least interesting thing about me was being trans. That, that I had a lot of other things I did in life, my career and everything else. And it kind of sounds that's kind of a similar thing. You know, everyone's focus is on the one thing where really what is important is your career, if you see what I mean. It's, it's, and, and that is always kind of this balance problem, I think. It's good for publicity, but it doesn't actually always help. It can be quite negative in some ways.
2: It's true. Though at the same time, I do know that because um, well, as you know, it's not us who have done the work. It's been the generations before us who have made it possible for us to, tr- you know transition this way and not be, you know completely shunned by the society. And I do try to think of that as an opportunity to talk about that and mm-hmm. to make people realize that we are here in this, like we are only seen because we, because the generations before us have done all of this work, and now we are in these conservative, male um, dominant places where we cannot be ignored. we are, here, are on the, you know, on the stage, or you know, some people are, you know, politicians. Like, all of that, we are there, and you cannot just, like, kind of easily brush us away. So, bringing awareness to that side, I find is, to be honest, way more important than my own career in the end. Like, it's not growing my ego always, but, like, ego is not that important in the big picture.
0: I must say, thank, thank you for including, when you said us, you included me in your generation, which I think is kind of wrong. <laughs> I think I'm old enough to be a grandma, but there you go. But, but, it's, but, but it was nice. So, yeah, it is, kind, it is kind of interesting. I mean, as an, as an, as an older trans woman, I do think that, um, you know, today in some ways, it's a little bit easier to transition um, and, and do it, but I think there are a lot of other disadvantages today, yes. I think, when you transition. So it's kind of, a, again, it's it's not better or worse, it's just, I think, different, you know. Um, um, and, and I think that's the thing that we have to take from this. It's not, you know, I, I quite often hear it's better or worse, or you had worse, I don't think that's true, I think it's just different, so.
2: Yeah, of course, I agree. and. Um... I just think, like, we have this moment now where we can also talk about the long, long history of transness, like, centuries, thousands of years long, you know, history. And I feel like right now the problem is that people, some people think that it's, like, a fashion thing, (laughs) which is, like, it's so far away from being that. Um, Like, I just think that right now, if we don't talk about that, that side, this will kind of just remain a gimmick Mm. and we will kind of lose a very important window in talk these things. And some countries like in certain states, for example, in the US, that window seems to be closing. So it is i think a very important
0: time i agree and and to be honest i think this is why i think people like yourself who are on the stage um, on television on on and in the forefront of cultural events are, are so important these days because you know it isn't just like an activist like shouting and doing this and saying hey you know we need to be recognized people see you on a regular basis, and it becomes it's normalized that kind of interaction with what you've seen with TV programs and, and people on it. And I think that is the, the really fantastic thing uh, as a trans person that people like yourself are able to do today. So I think that that's a real positive for me. I think.
1: Yeah, the visibility sure. is such a, an incredibly important thing. And, and it's everyone, everyone is on a you know we're in an unfortunate, uh, you know, conservative slide at the moment, obviously, and it's it's hitting everywhere, and it's hitting everywhere at different uh, paces and things, and it's uh, it's interesting to be in Canada and watch the states. I mean, Canada is probably much more, if not extremely more, liberal than America, but we are very much seeing yeah. even here like really similar conversations start to pop up, you know, where the States is here, we're here, but like, it's, it's terrifying to watch the the same conversations happen, but it is happening everywhere. And this is why it's so vital to have these like conversations and talk about people, uh, being on stage, being present, being visible, being, you know, vocally and visibly queer in, in every space. It's, it's so, uh, important to see in, in so many different ways. And and obviously I my mantra is always the arts and performance speak to the community that they serve. The, the arts and performance speak for the immediate city and, and world that they exist within. And so every organization should have a representation of the community that they serve. And there are trans people and queer people in every community. And so then your orchestra in whatever city you're in should have queer and trans people on stage because that's who was around but um i would love to listen to uh you saying i would love to listen Mm -hmm. to one of your your pieces and so uh you sent over a couple maybe we'll start with uh maybe the sibelius is a good one to start with Mm -hmm. um and so maybe if you can just tell us a bit about uh this this sibelius like what it comes from what what piece it is and and then we'll have a listen
2: Okay, so this is uh, maybe his biggest hit. Var Did't dröm? Um, was it a dream? It's quite a beautiful, haunting melody. Um, we did this concert together, pianist, and there was also soprano Greta Fredheim in the same concert. And this was in a in a museum that is specialized in great tombstones and with burial uh, rites. So um, we did this concert that talked about songs, that was Sibelius and Greek songs about death. So it's a bit of a dark (laughs) song, even though it doesn't necessarily sound like it.
0: okay let's take a let's take a listen Maybe I could just ask you before we talk about the piece specifically, um, Sibelius, of course, and being Finnish, I mean, it, it's kind of, he's the kind of, um, I don't know what you call it, the, the patriarchal figure of, of Finnish music, if you like, you know, and, and all of this. How, how, as a Finnish person, how, do, how does yeah. that feel to you, singing Sibelius? Is that kind of important?
2: It feels different now that I live abroad. In Finland, I was, like, I was like, oh my God, Sibelius again. Like, I loved those songs, but like everyone sings them. And then all of a sudden, you're in a different country where no one really hears those songs. They mind no one song. And then all of a sudden you're like, wait, there's this part of my culture that I could share with these people. And um, yeah, Sibelius, I think was a really great composer. Like I really enjoy his music. So I also think there's a lot more interesting music in Finland than from Sibelius, but Sibelius is also like this kind of um, composer that I think is very easy for a lot of people to understand, have like very introduced to maybe more Finnish
0: music in the future. Interesting, yes, yes.
1: The, the nationalism conversation is always such an interesting thing, because we, we always, like as musicians, ride this line of I'm like, proud of my composers, I'm proud of my uh, country's music, and uh, at least for, for me, and I don't know how you feel about Sibelius, uh canadian composers always sound um folky to me uh like they always even even our kind of older uh, yeah. older canadian composers they always sound
0: um like just kind of, <laughs> it's a very for, for the listeners here jacob is making a, a funny movement with his arms here which you can't actually see of course but <laughs>
1: of course but it's uh but at the same time you're right i like you know i've heard uh canadian composers in in other countries uh and i i get very uh, like weepy about hearing like canadian music elsewhere but when i hear it at home I'm like oh my god i never can't do another canadian whatever um so it's, it's interesting that you say that about sibelius and um because i'm i'm always uh interested in like expanding my own repertoire you know who are the Finnish composers that you like deeply love that are not Sibelius? Who who do you really love to to perform or even just listen to?
2: Yeah, so my all time favorite Finnish composer to perform is Toivakura. Um He lived quite a short life. Um, he died in the Finnish Civil War um, because he decided that it was a really good idea to go and. Pick up a fight with soldiers, you know, which is <laughs> very smart of him. But he he composed this extremely beautiful um song literature. I would say like there's a lot of really really hauntingly beautiful songs that tend to be a little dark and there's almost like a mysticism to these songs and they have like hints of French um, song literature and also something just very unique. And they're one of like those kinds of songs where you can take an enormous amount of time without it ever losing the pulse it's just a very interesting interesting composer to me i mean and then of course i love Gaya Saari um i have not performed any of her works ever but i love to listen to her music there's yeah, always this
0: music. yeah
1: interesting uh, conversation especially with uh countries with such long histories and long understandings of of uh, their countries that the the most immediate way into for me understanding uh any language or country is often through like song cycles and often through composers who write um like from from that place of of where they are, and you know, as much as I joke about Canadian music, it, it is still like when you are our, our, our Marie Schaeffer, our letter R, Murray Schaeffer is, is a very well-known Canadian composer, at least here, and I don't particularly love R. Marie Schaeffer's music, but it is evocative of Canada. It is very uh, deeply tied to the land and the people and the history of Canada, and it really sounds like the vast openness of the Canadian North, with like hundreds and thousands of kilometers of just tundra and yeah. you know, trees and forest, and it's interesting uh, to to listen to like Finnish composers, and it sounds Finnish. It sounds like the country that it, it is born of it's such an interesting thing to me but i think maybe and you have a, a different perspective as a singer as well as a vocalist that when you are also making the sound when you are vocalizing that sound and speaking in the language of uh where that's from it it has such a different resonance to me it's, it's always so fascinating yeah it's also
2: interesting like to know about the Finnish um, song literature is that we have two official languages. So Sibelius mainly wrote songs to Swedish language poems um, because his first language was Swedish. He did write something in Finnish as well. Whereas Doivokula mainly wrote in Finnish and those languages are very, very different um they don't belong to the same language group, they sound completely different. Mm. Uh, so that does really impact the rhythm and the um the vowels and all of that. So that's also interest like a very interesting characteristic in, in our song literature and tradition.
0: It, it is kind of interesting. I mean, I live in northern Sweden, um, and, yeah. and half the people here speak Finnish and the other half speak Swedish with Men Kaley and a few other languages. And and it is so different when you see all the road signs in Finnish and then they're yeah. in Swedish and they're in Samiska as well, and and this, and it is it's but it it is kind of um it is a fascinating. I find Finnish quite fascinating language because of the way you construct the sentences and construct the you know the, the different ways of doing things and this kind of stuff. It's a, it is kind of fascinating. But but as you say, I think few people realise that that you know one of the major languages of Finland is Swedish and and that it used to be the the language. So it's kind of interesting, yeah. really.
2: Yeah, it's true. Um, my part of Finland was less. Um, of that because it belonged like it was a part of russia for way yeah. longer so where i'm from we have a lot more russian influence in our culture mm-hmm. and and it's um yeah it's culture just very different as well mm.
0: And I think that's kind of interesting because the whole of, I mean, we get on to geography here, um, yeah. but it is kind of interesting that, you know, um, because of the, the history of, of the Scandinavian and Finnish cultures and countries, you've got this kind of, um, you know, the, the boundaries are kind of blurred. You know, yeah. you know, when you're here, you can't really tell whether you're in Sweden or Finland half the time. And and of course with the with the Sami people who roam over the border and this kind of thing. And it is very much all intertwined, you know, it's not three separate or four separate countries. It is all very, very yeah. mixed. And as you say, as you get nearer your you where you come from, you've of course got the big Russian influence, which is of course a different, you know, and 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 it's kind of not like the older countries, if you know what I mean. I mean, it's kind yeah. of not like we've had this this sort of fixed Perspective, so it's kind of kind of a mishmash, which is kind of nice, really, for me, anyway.
2: Yeah, I agree. It's very interesting, and like, I think Finland is a very strange cu- country culturally, in that it was always kind of the poor piece of land that several tribes lived in, without it necessarily having a very unified identity. And then, like, kind of with nationalism, this entire idea of being Finnish was reformed really more clearly, and unfortunately it lost a little bit of its original diversity. Um, but yeah, my um, my part of Finland is like so different than like the west coast of Finland, mm. Um, mm. and or the north. You know, it's it's a very interesting like it was a very interesting corner to grow up in in the sense that it's so mm. um like the eastern orthodox church has a very big influence in like
1: our culture there for sure mm. and without knowing how old you are I'm, I'm assuming you've watched your part of finland also change quite a bit in the last few decades right well yeah i'm i'm 34
2: so i was born next to soviet union which then collapsed and then we had a huge economic crisis due to that when i was a kid so i do remember that it was kind of a gray period and then like, we had two TV channels, <laughs> mm-hmm. you know, it was, but of course, like they had this huge technology bubble that burst at the same time. Um, but then we had the time when Nokia happened and we also joined EU and we joined the Euro and internet happened. And yeah, it's changed a lot. And, but it's also like, when my grandparents were born, it was a country of extreme poverty still.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Like, my all my grandparents grew up in extreme poverty, and they did not have enough food, any of them. And they were just struggling to, like, my granddad started working, like, heavy physical labor when he was nine. And so it was... And from then to my parents' generation in the 60s when Finland got had just gotten industrialized and urbanized in a big way, they grew up in this very different world from their parents. And then my generation grew up from, like again, in a very different reality.
3: And now the young like teenagers
2: and young adults are very international and very open-minded, whereas, like, my generation still was, grew up very much in this almost monoculture bubble. So it's, yeah, um, it's, it has changed a lot.
0: Mm. I, I mean, first, I first went to Finland probably in about the late 80s, yeah. And and I mean when I recently went to a few years ago went back to Helsinki which I know is not your part of the world but yeah. but 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 it, it it is it has changed a lot. I mean it is even since you know in the last 40 years it is considerably different yeah. in terms of you know to just just as you say I think it's yeah you know you go to Helsinki today it's very outward looking and everybody is international. It's a very sort of different country, I think. So, and that's kind of interesting because I think a lot of, you know, I I think that's true partly of Sweden as well. And I think it's probably partly true of Norway and and other countries that we've, it's kind of become more that way. And maybe maybe just go back to music because this is kind of interesting. Do you think, do you think uh, the music has become in finland has become more international i'm not quite sure what i mean by that but do you think it's become i mean you always get the feeling that finnish music was kind of quite introspective you know and and kind of you know when you when you look at sibelius it's it's always kind of you know it, it inward looking towards finland and and it's kind of you know maybe maybe i'm being unfair to finnish composers of the past but do you think now it's more international more outward looking than it used to be
2: it's hard to tell because the artists Like, back in Sibelius' time, they all lived in France, Italy, Germany, for decades, you know? Mm -hmm. All of them. Um, And they would just, like, you know, just travel all over Europe to conduct their own pieces. And um, same goes with a lot of, like, painters. And so they were actually... I think what happened during that time was that because in general, it was the time where sort of like, like the national romantic period was happening. It was that they would take everything they learned in Paris and all of that, but then try to find their own soul Mm. and to find sort of their voice also to be quite kind of, also to kind of stand out internationally, they had to go for the Finnish more exotic patterns and music. So I think that's kind of actually more mm. what happened. Mm. It was like Finland was this strange corner that people did not know anything about. So it was exotic in mm. Europe. Mm. Do you
0: find that that when you when you sing? that that uh, i mean we've already talked about your sort of how how coming out has helped you with your singing do, do you carry sort of I maybe this is not the right word a kind of finishness with you do you do you kind of kind of you know or or do you are you much more international now i mean you spent many years in germany now so so i guess that's kind of diluted it but do you is there like a core of you which has that finished viewpoint if you see what i mean you know
2: that's a very good question. Um, I never felt very much at home in the Finnish culture, honestly. Um, so in some ways, I'm very international. Um, and also the Finland that I lived in is not there anymore. Mm-hmm. So like now when I go back to Finland, I feel like I see parts of what was there, but not within a lot of things that weren't there. Um, In some ways, I feel like whenever someone is an expert, they kind of become almost like a relic of the time (laughs) when they left their own country in some ways. Like they kind of cling on to that part of the culture. Um, I see this with my great aunt who has lived uh, in Sari, um, since the 60s, and the way she speaks and acts is exactly, like, what do you see in old Finnish films, of that, like, still, like, like, sort of, like, that black and white film era, which in Finland lasted until the 60s, um, so it was, um, it was just a very, like, I have noticed that this, that same thing has happened to me, um, So, and I do think no matter where we come from, we always carry our background with us, not just the country, but like how our family was, what we grew up doing, like all of that. And I think ignoring that would not be wise.
1: Hmm. It's very interesting. I mean, I am of the three of us, the only person who's not... Uh, an expat somewhere. And so it's 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 funny to hear the two of you talk about um, that experience of like drawing yourself through uh, time and place to a different a different country.
0: Yeah. That's very, very I, interesting. And that's what Sam says is kind of is kind of interesting because it echoes with me, is, is, you know, i I even though I I'm British originally, I lived a long time in America and, and now in Sweden. I, I don't. The British part of me that I hold is quite old, yeah. and when I go back there, I, I don't recognise the country. I mean, it doesn't recognise me either, and and that's kind mm-hmm. of interesting. You still hold on this bit of, you know, thing you carry around, but it is kind of very much out of date, and it's it, it's fascinating, really.
2: Yeah, it's also like then when you do live elsewhere, you kind of change your. Body language changes. And what has happened to me the past two summers now is that sometimes like when I go shopping or do something, like I've forgotten how the interaction happens. Like I realize that I'm doing something a little off when it comes to the Finnish context of things. And what happens is that people ask, like, where did you learn to speak Finnish that well? (laughs) And I was like. (laughs) Because, like, my Finnish also, like, it's not the language, like, that I use every day, all the time. I kind of live most of my life in English, because my uh, partner is American, and we, um, we speak English at home all the time. We watch shows in English, like, and I, also my German has weirdly been built on my English, because it's so much closer, whereas, like, so, like, translating between German and Finnish for me is really difficult. Mm-hmm. And, of course, Finnish is my better language, but it has, like, mm-hmm. it has gone downhill, for sure. And, like, my, I've forgotten certain f- phrases, and sometimes I get tangled with the grammar. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. it's just, I'm making these, like, similar kind of errors that foreigners make. So it's...
0: Uh, it, it's fascinating to hear you say that because, you know, as I find, even though I speak a lot of English, my, my partner's English and, and I watch English things uh, because I speak Swedish quite a bit as well, I've started losing my English. And, yeah. and I can't remember certain things that, that I've learned in Swedish. I can't remember the English word for it, and it, and it kind of screws your brain up. It's kind of very weird, um, sort yeah. of thing. So you know, I completely understand that. And my I'm I'm useless at languages, so it's kind of kind of even worse, I think. But it, but it's fascinating to hear that you you're you're playing into playing three different languages. It's kind of fun, sort of thing. Yeah. Well, we should
1: listen to your to your other pieces. So, you uh, also sent us a piece uh, from Rosolka. Uh, maybe you can you tell us a bit about this one as well. Yeah, so this is
2: Votnik's aria, so uh, or Water Sprite's aria, uh, where he is warning Rosalka that she's about to give up this life that would be eternal and that maybe becoming a human is not going to be a good thing and it's a very sort of gentle ethereal kind of warning song which for my voice type is not that common actually so i love seeing that because of that wonderful well here it is
1: It's I, I, when when we were chatting about um, uh, setting up a time to talk with you, Sam. I was on your Instagram and I was watching. You have a, a pinned thing about uh, singing and and uh, being on stage and 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 different roles. And there's a bit and maybe maybe it's changed or maybe you have the same feeling or or whatever. But you were talking about um, taking low voice roles and how uh, I mean you spent so long. Uh, doing those, those uh, acting jobs as a, uh, a low voice person, presenting as a, a quote unquote male person at the time. And it doesn't affect your uh, want to take those roles. And you have such a beautiful, deep voice. And it's so resonant and, and round and rich. Um, and obviously, this role is, is still that. Uh, do you still feel the same way about taking uh, those like old male roles?
2: yeah it's kind of more fun now that i don't have to try to act that in my personal life right you know because i have gained like it was never natural for me to try to fit in the society as a so-called man Mm -hmm. you know i never fit that mold but when you don't fit a mold and you still have to somehow it in, you get really good at um, masking, which Mm -hmm. is essentially acting. So I have a really good skill set in in that. Of course, like um, now, because I am quite curvy, um, I need help from the costume department a lot. Like, like, and essentially, it does look very similar to how like mezzos play trouser roles. Like, it's not gonna look like a man acting a man, which is, it's never gonna be with me anyway. So it's fine. It's just sometimes, <laughs> sometimes you need to maybe. Like widen the horizon with that a little. There have been roles that are written as male roles that the directors have wanted to direct as women for me, because they have found that that would be an interesting contrast to the piece in itself. And that's also fun to do. Um, but I I do think, like gender, in a lot of ways, is just a social sort of construct, I guess. So, when play around with it.
1: And it, you do get to free it up. I mean, the, gender is a social construct, absolutely, and yeah. then especially in the conversation of opera, which is so like heightened, uh, fantasy world. On the base level, and then to be able to play with gender in such a like freer way, uh, to me makes perfect sense. I mean, I'm you're preaching to the choir, obviously, but like to right. me it makes so much sense to be able to play with gender in that way that you can access so much more character in in a way that so many people who uh, maybe don't have that freer understanding of of gender and playing with roles um, can access. To me, it makes much more sense to like deepen that understanding of those roles. Yeah. But yeah, and it's
2: like also like in my voice type, a lot of the roles are not even human. They're gods or mm. you know, magical creatures, like the water sprite mm. in that. So they don't necessarily have a gender.
0: Yeah, exactly. You know?
2: Yeah. Um Like, I've gotten to sing um, parts of Wotan in Valkyrie. And, I mean, yeah, the pronoun is he, but he is some kind of a magical creature.
3: Mm. So
2: there's, like, no set um, sort of society-based idea of what Wotan should be like if you think about it.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So Do you think that do you think that um, having transitioned actually gives you a, a better idea of, of playing a male role? And, and the, re- the reason I say that is because, uh, I don't know for, for me, I, I understood more about what a man was when I actually transitioned to be a woman than I did beforehand. And I kind of wonder if you feel the same and whether that, that is kind of makes it easier in a way for you to play the male role.
2: Yes, it does for sure. I, I, I fully like, especially like psychologically, for sure. There are certain physical
3: things that I cannot do just because I just don't have
2: the upper body strength anymore than what a, you know, a cis man would have. Um, So because of, you know, because of hormones, you just lose that. And so (laughs) there are certain things where like, we are like acting like there was this one piece that was so funny to me. Like, like my character was a man and then it was like, we had this like group of men on stage and at some point like we all lifted up chairs but they had to make like bring me a much lighter chair because I couldn't (laughs) lift up the chairs that the rest of them could so like there are things like that and of course like it does affect your physicality, physicality a little bit when you don't have the same strength levels in all parts of your body. Um, but like, I think those are very trivial things.
1: And I think you, uh, yeah, what you, what you gain from, cause again, thinking about the the thread from your Instagram, like what you gain from freeing up, you know, maybe tension points in your voice or freeing up, uh, range things in your voice, uh, are like null and void then from what you might, Uh, have like in like you say different strengths and and parts in in your your body and it it opens up so many different parts of your voice um that I think are just much more maybe interesting like you know have you noticed a change in uh because you sing in the same register maybe but have you noticed a change in your like timbre and your resonance and your um like sound creation singing similar pitch notes sure but like timbrely I mean, those two examples are
2: a year apart. Mm-hmm. Uh, the mm-hmm. first example was after nine months in hormones. And the second one was before all of that. Mm-hmm. And the difference I hear in that is technique. Like, I'm just, I've had some big sort of aha moments with my singing. between mm-hmm. <laughs> Those two things. Um... I have not really noticed anything that would have to do with that. Uh, what I did notice in the very beginning when I came out before like any hormonal changes started to happen, of course, because, you know, I had to wait for a while to get to that was like immediately after I came out, um, my voice kind of doubled in size Mm. And I had a hard time controlling it for a while because it was like, oh, there's a lot more voice that I need to support. Um, But like, no, I don't. People always ask a lot about the hormonal changes. I mean, if I'm like completely transparent, what it does to me is what... A lot of cis women also experience is that at a certain time of the month for a day or two your body just like retains more water and then singing is a bit more of a labor Mm. it doesn't like really affect it that much but it's a little bit more difficult but i mean singing is different every day anyway i just noticed that there's more of a pattern Mm having to do that but it's like not that it actually affects my ability to sing it's just you just have to be a little bit more precise in how you do those things and in the end I usually end up like the end result ends up being the best on those days even though it's the most difficult one because I have to be so precise to then sing well Mm -hmm. so whereas like sometimes when you have a really easy singing day You end up seeing the worst because you just get it a little bit too relaxed and don't pay enough attention to things. Too easy. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Like the the times that I've had like something weird, like a voice crack happen on stage, have always been those days when everything's everything has felt really easy.
0: Hmm. Yeah, I guess you make mistakes when the, when everything gets easy. It's kind of true in yeah, life like, whole, isn't it?
2: and yeah, and you forget words. Like you just get too excited about like how amazing you are. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's it's a little bit of a dangerous place to be. In.
0: Yeah, I I, can't, I I must admit, I there, there's a when I've seen you your videos on stage, and I think this is true of a lot of people I see on stage. Um, it's kind of fascinating because for me, if I was on stage, I mean, I haven't done stage things for years and I'm certainly not a singer or anything, I kind of, I kind of, I'd just be like, oh, look how fabulous. I'd lose it completely, I think. I think I'd be completely sort of overwhelmed by just the enthusiasm for it. And I guess what I'm trying to say is, is that how do you, how do you actually control that? Because obviously you're in, you've got, have enthusiasm, you're excited. You've got all this stuff, but then you've got to control this voice, which is important. Yeah. So, so uh, how how do you do that?
2: Um, I mean,
0: million dollar question. Sorry, I have
2: I have performed since I was three years old in different ways as a dancer, but also like I I've performed as a singer as a kid. I had a really high, kind of loud soprano voice. Um, I don't know, like I used to get really bad anxiety about auditions. For me, what I kind of have started doing, which has helped me a lot was that I, before I go on stage, um, I just think that I am just going, like I'm just going to do whatever I can today. Mm-hmm. I'm not gonna aim at my absolute best level. I'm just gonna aim at my normal level, because like the way I practice is gonna be the way I'm gonna sing. Mm-hmm. So I'm just gonna, like I'm one of those people who just really relies on that. And I also, <laughs> when, if I feel myself getting nervous in the middle of something, I always tell myself that, okay, you can, you can be here, you know, sit on my shoulder, but you're not allowed to speak to me until this thing is over. So I'm one of those people who will
1: shake after a performance. Mm. Ah, all right, Yeah. It's a, it's a fascinating conversation. I love talking to musicians about, uh, about, uh, nerves and anxiety and things. My, if I, just before I walk out on stage, I try and yawn. I try and tell myself I'm so sleepy. I'm so calm. I could go to bed because <laughs> that evens me out. It like brings me to a yeah. normal because I think if I allow myself to get nervous and shaky, then yeah, I'm, I'm done for. I'm screwed. Um, but I like this technique of like putting it on the shoulder, telling me I can I can be nervous and shaky afterwards. It's probably better than yawning and being tired. No, but, but if I like even it out that way, I, I find I then am just at my normal level. Yeah,
2: I I I also get really tired before a show. Like I'm always like, how am I gonna get through this? Yeah. But I think it's also like your body's very natural mechanism of saving energy mm. for something that you need a lot of energy for.
1: I'll trust our bodies. I'll, I'll trust that they, yeah. they are telling us to just even out and, and go. And I think that's something that people yeah. uh, maybe forget or don't realize or if you're not a performer, like how physical it is and how exhausting it is to do like maybe like a two or three hour show it's right. just physically and mentally so tiring, and especially I work a lot in new music as a I'm a, mainly a conductor, and I yeah. um, when you're doing those pieces that require so much like mental work, like polyrhythms, yeah. and you're like changing meter all the time, and you're doing all these extended techniques, and you're conducting all these wild things, it's physically and mentally exhausting, and so just mm-hmm. to remind your body to preserve, preserve energy before you go and do it is is an important thing. Um, and
2: I think like, wait, what was I going to (laughs) say? Sorry. (laughs) I lost the thought. Um, like what I try to also always remember is like, I'm just, I'm a human. My body is a human body and it's not a mission so if something happens I'm just gonna you know laugh it off like I once did this concert that was like a really big deal and I s- sang this really demanding long piece really well only to crack the last note twice mm. <laughs> not
0: once oh, but no. twice Oh
2: no. <laughs> I I was really proud of myself in that I was just like having a hard time not starting to laugh. Mm. And because I was just like, you know, phlegm comes up sometimes, and there's nothing you can do when phlegm comes up in between your vocal folds. It's gonna be there and mm-hmm. then you're gonna crack no matter like it has nothing to do with your ability as a singer. It's just crap happens. So it's um yeah, it's. I think a lot of musicians are taught that only perfection is good enough, mm. but perfection is actually really boring. Like I find it as an audience member so interesting if someone, if you notice that someone has something, to then see how they overcome that. It's so thrilling.
0: I, I mean, I think we 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 kind of I think we've talked about a little bit about this before, Jacob. We're talking with people about how, you know. Sometimes, um, you know, once it becomes too impersonal, if you like, Mm, once it becomes something which is autonomous or automatic, then it kind of loses all the character and, and sort of, you know, personal, you know, the personal things that you're putting into it. So so I, I kind of, I kind of agree. I kind of feel that's, that's right. You know, when you see somebody... Who's either overcoming something, or putting their own spin on it, or doing something that's a little bit different. That kind of is the the, the excitement in it, as, a, as opposed to them than the I don't say mundane about classical music, but you know what I mean. That yeah. kind of you know autonomous sort of thing. So.
2: Yeah, and what I love about opera is that we don't have a set instrument. You know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: like. When your body is your instrument, your body is so different every day. And with that, you're going to sing a little differently. everyday You're going to sound a little different every day. Your voice is going to do slightly different things in different registers that you have to work around. And as someone with ADHD, that's a great thing to have because it never gets boring. Mm. Like I always stay interested in what I'm doing because it keeps on changing all the
0: time. Mm -hmm. And I think it's kind of I mean, I think opera is is one of those things, because, as you say, you've got your your voice is your instrument, but also because it's very visual as well. I mean, it is it is an acting job as well. And when you look at an opera, you often see very good singers who don't act very well. Yeah. And then you see some maybe not-so-good singers who act brilliantly, and and it yeah. kind of is more more fun and enthusiastic. So I, it's kind of like a... It isn't just a singing job, really, is it? I mean, you've kind of got a lot of stuff going on there. You've got the acting and, and everything else that you yeah. need to do.
2: It's true. I, I am a really good actor. Um, like, that's kind of what gets me hired for a lot of things. Um, but I actually enjoy recitals, maybe even more. Because then you become this storyteller through your voice and it's a very different kind of a more delicate atmosphere. Um, I love both, like both are really dear to me. Um, and I'm very much both. Like I'm very much a recitalist and an opera singer. And I love that that a very diverse thing is possible in our job.
0: So I could jump and ask one more thing here about that because it kind of fascinates me with the recital part of this. How yeah. much of how much of yourself is in the recital? I mean, if you understand what I mean, how much of it, you know, you've obviously got to sing a particular piece, but but what do? How much of you is in that?
2: Um, I'm such a music nerd that I use endless
3: hours planning concert programs that have a cohesive theme
2: mm. that might be like this summer. I'm doing this recital where it's about russian composers who and poets who were like who had to leave their countries or who had to live with constant fear of being too political and just getting killed mm-hmm. and or finding links between composers or you know whatever it could might be I feel like through that planning, you put so much of yourself, like way more than you do on stage. Because, like, when usually when you're at, uh, doing a piece on stage, you're still very much creating someone else's vision, like the director's vision. Of course, it's a collaboration, but it's not your artistic vision purely. Whereas like then in a recital, it is yours and the pianist's vision. Mm. And it's a musical vision. And you have way more control over all of that. It's not conducted, you know? And it's um way more intimate art form. And I
3: feel quite naked on stage when I do that and for
2: recitals I get more nervous as well Mm. because it's way more revealing of who I am Mm. Mm. but I also know that being vulnerable like that is my strength as an artist in general and people want to hear me in those situations and I feel seen and heard in a very different way than I do on opera stage. But I, then again, I would not be able to live doing recitals only because they take so much more out of my soul. And, And opera is physically demanding and it's, but it's more of a craft, I feel. In the end, like, of course, you sometimes have to do something that is so heavy and so close to your own life experience that it's it gets very, very heavy and taxing. But there's still like um, distance to it because you're a character. You're not yourself.
1: Hmm. Well, I think that's probably a lovely place to to wrap up in the in this wonderful chat with you sam it's uh it is so nice to meet you because it's uh always nice to meet people with their new uh, set of life and repertoire and and uh we have such a closed sphere always and this is what sam and i always always say like we know the people we know and it's so nice to be able to reach out to somebody uh who is Uh, outside of both it's the same nice sphere of people and and it's uh, amazing to get to hear you sing and hear about your uh, experience singing and your work and your career and just thank you so much for being here today
2: this was was such a pleasure i love these kinds of platforms where you just get to chat and there's no agenda and you just talk
0: Thank you, Sam. It's been, a, it's been a pleasure talking to you. Thank you. So that's all for this episode. You've been listening to the Classical Queer Podcast, and Jake and I look forward to being with you next month. The incidental music is courtesy of Jared Miller, and the show was produced by Samantha Jane.